Hello, and welcome to another episode of Boundless Body Radio. I'm your host, Casey Ruff, and today we have another amazing guest to introduce to you now. Dr. Suresh Kawadkar is a United Kingdom-trained doctor who has been practicing for over 12 years with a very high level of training. He has specialist qualifications and is a fellow of the Royal Australian College of General Practitioners. He also holds advanced degrees from the University of Leicester in the United Kingdom. He performs all aspects of general practice, but his special interest areas include skin cancer, psychology and mental health, weight loss, and lifestyle medicine. Different to conventional medicine, lifestyle medicine aims to prevent and treat chronic illness and ill health without the need for medications. By focusing on lifestyle interventions and proper nutrition, diet, physical activity, sleep, and mental health, Dr. Suresh adores helping his patients thrive. Dr. Suresh is committed to delivering world-class, excellent primary care to his patients and is always looking for more ways to help his patients to improve their health and prevent and treat their medical conditions without drugs where possible. He is also the host of the wonderful Meet Medic podcast, which is one of my favorite shows. Dr. Suresh Kawadkar, what an absolute honor it is to welcome you to Balanced Body Radio. Thank you very much, Casey. It's a pleasure to uh, to be here. It's an honor to host you. I hope I didn't butcher your name. I did butcher the first iteration no. of the introduction, which we're going to pitch. Nobody's going to have to listen <laughs> to that ever again. Um, but yeah, it's such an honor to have you on the show. Like I said, I, I really love your podcast. You do a really great job talking to all kinds Thank of you. guests, but also doing solo episodes, which I can tell you is not that easy. You do a really good job with it. It's not easy, no. I mean, I'm trying to get my wife to actually come on the show. Uh, she's actually quite keen to come on the show. I'm trying to get her to maybe even co-host at some point. She, she's uh, she's she's a doctor as well, but um, I wanted to come on the show because she, a you know, predominantly a really a very animal based uh, nutrition through our latest pregnancy, and I wanted to get her on actually to talk about that. But um, doing doing a solo show, yeah, it's it's hard because you've got to you've got to try and be engaging yourself. Um, make it interesting for the listeners, make it interesting for the viewers. And that's kind of hard when it's all on on you. Yeah. Um, so I, I really appreciate you saying that. Yeah, yeah, it's really tough. You pull it off really well. You mentioned an animal-based and carnivore diet, and I know that's something you found relatively recently, which is really interesting. And I love how honest mm. you are about it. In one of your episodes, you were talking about all these wonderful benefits that you were noticing with your carnivore diet. You felt better. Your energy was better. Every, all these amazing things. But yeah. there was one major negative thing that you talked about, and I'm glad you were honest with this. You said that you were feeling so much energy that you started to want to clean and do more chores around the house. <laughs> House? Who wants that with their diet? Like that's not a selling point. I know. Well, it's really funny actually because I, I see a, a lot of men in my practice with with all sorts of issues. But uh, I mean, most of them just you know feel what most people are feeling. Just they're feeling just flat, tired, lethargic. Um, very often their their partners uh, are complaining. You know, they're not doing much around the house. You know, this kind of thing. Uh, and they come in, they they see me, and I you know work on them with with their diet. Often with a with a kind of a very animal based you know diet. Um, often carnivore diet to start with at least. And then, yeah, they come back in saying, you know, I just, I feel so good. I feel so manly and I know what they're going to say. And and they all go, but yeah, I want to, I want to cook and I want to clean <laughs> and I want to tidy. Like what, what have you done to me? And they're like, my, my, my partner loves it, you know, wife, girlfriend, whatever. Uh, and like, they just, they love it. And I'm, I'm so productive, but like, what are you done to me, dude? And like, that's, that's what being manly is. It's, it's about, you know, it's filling that, that role of the protector, the provider. Um, it's not about going off and getting into fights and, you know, that kind of stuff. Like, no, that's, that's, that's not what being a man's about. Being a man is about protecting, providing, being a good, a good person. And that means doing these things. The funny thing is, is they, they kind of, they, they actually don't mind doing it. 
because they actually just feel motivated to do it. But they're just, it's so weird for them. Yeah. Yeah, it really is. <laughs> wow. Well, that is such a great point. I'm so glad you brought that up about manliness. And and I agree completely. It, you're right. It's not about starting bar fights and being all macho. It's, it's you know, serving and being the rock for our partners um, that brings out our masculinity, which also can bring out the femininity in partners, which is really great. And I'm sure your wife Absolutely. really appreciates it as she just had your fourth, ba- fourth baby. So congratulations. Um, and Thank you're you. practicing in Brisbane on the other side of the world, which means you are up very, very early to do this podcast. So I'm really Correct. grateful for you to uh, be waking up early these days. Uh, you're very welcome. I mean, yeah, I was kind of kind of awake anyway. This actually worked out very nicely uh, with timing with the new baby and everything. So, but yeah, it's like 4 a.m. It's, it's pretty much pitch black outside. Um, and, uh, but no, I mean, we've, we've been trying to get this together for months. So it was just right. Get on. And I apologize to listeners, viewers. I've got a very slight cold at the moment. You know, it's typical. I've I've been perfectly, absolutely spot on for four years um, since I've been really trying to fix my diet. And we literally spent like 12 hours in the hospital to have the baby. Picked up a cold. Wow. <laughs> wow. <laughs> That's what was supposed to make you make you well. Uh, but no, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm fine here, but, uh, no, obviously pitch black outside, which is really nice. Just one thing about Brisbane that, um, you know, we, we, about Australia that really surprised us when we got here. First time we came to visit, you know, coming from England, you look up at the stars in England, like all you see is just the light pollution everywhere. You can, you can barely see stars here. You literally get here, you look up and it's just absolutely clear skies, pitch black, no light pollution. (sighs) This, this just you can just see the galaxy it's just it's incredible it's absolutely incredible it's just like being out in the middle of nowhere in the middle of the city it's, it's great it's amazing wow what a cool way to always have perspective of how you know small we really are on this little blue speck of light floating absolutely. around absolutely uh, that's amazing absolutely well okay so I thought today you would be the best person to do something we've done in the past, but it's been a while, which would be almost like create like a beginner's guide to the carnivore diet and kind of guide people along and yeah. help them, you know, determine what things they're going to eat. I'm getting more and more people that are reaching out to me, you know, friends and people that are seeing my posts and strangers that want to try mm. carnivore. So I think the word is getting out there and you'd be a wonderful person to help out with that. Um, I've, we also need to tell your story and how you found the diet. Before we get to all of that, I'm going to throw you a bit of a curveball and talk about something that we mentioned in the introduction skin cancer to prepare for this interview i took a barefoot shirtless walk outside it's very close (laughs) to solar noon about a week away from the summer solstice and i am not Mm. wearing sunscreen i haven't worn sunscreen in years what kind of lecture would you like to give me about skin cancer (laughs) well skin cancer is a really interesting thing because i mean i I live in, in in queensland you know which is basically the skin cancer capital of the world uh, we have the highest rates of skin cancer, the highest rates of melanoma in the world, and they are going up. Uh, it's a very interesting question, actually, because, I mean, look, the standard medical advice uh, to anyone out there listening, watching is, you know, cover up, use your sunscreen, you know, use as strong a factor as possible. Uh, avoid skin cancer, go and get regular skin checks, you know, get get a get a check if you think there's something changing. That's that's the bottom line. That's the, the official line. Um, you know, unofficially, uh, Skin cancer is a big problem, absolutely. But so is a lack of sunlight. This is this is a real problem. You know, vitamin D, incredibly important. Uh, and we'll come back to this. But actually, and really interestingly, vitamin D needs good levels of cholesterol to actually produce the vitamin D. You don't just get vitamin D from sun. actually goes through a process needing cholesterol, which is really interesting. Um. But we see there are certain things in our diet that can impact potentially the rates of skin cancer. 
Uh, and it's very interesting because you see a lot of people following a carnivore diet that will say, my skin is less sensitive to the sun. And you may have noticed that. I certainly noticed that. Now, if I go out into the middle of the, you know, Brisbane sun and the UV is like 15, you know, the UV index, yeah, I'm going to get a little bit of a sunburn. I do. I've tested it. <laughs> but it is a lot less sensitive. My skin is a lot less sensitive to the sun since I went on a carnivore diet, which is absolutely fascinating. Now, there are things like uh, celery dermatitis, for example. You know, if you get a lot of celery, you can get very photosensitive skin. Hmm. Now, the medical textbooks would say, well, no, but that's just, it's just celery. It's nothing else, just celery. There's this thing called celery dermatitis, that's it. But the things in celery, don't ask me exactly what it is about celery, but there's something in celery, they're going to be in other products. They're going to be in other plants. And this is where we come to the idea of you know plant toxins. They're not just in single plants. They're shared across the spectrum, just in various, you know, differing quantities. So it's not out of this realm to think that plants can actually make you more sensitive to the sun. We know this is the case because you look at celery. You know, you look at, you get lime juice on your hands, you know, like people that go picking limes. It's not the lime juice that actually burns them. You go and put lime juice on your hands, sit in a dark room, nothing will happen. Well, pretty much nothing will happen. You go out into the sun and that lime juice will start to burn your skin. It's the reaction with the UV, with the sunlight. You use a UV light, it'll do pretty much the same thing. So the idea that plants can actually affect our skin uh, is not that alien. So the official line is, yes, cover up, use your sunscreen and so on. But unofficially, yes, there are a lot of benefits to getting a lot of sun. Lack of sunlight is a big problem for us. Uh, and uh, I see that here a lot, you know, in Brisbane, you know, Queensland, you know, sun, the sunshine state, as we call it here, you know, clear skies almost every single day. Yet we have enormous rates of vitamin D deficiency. Why is that if we've got so much sun? Well, it's because people are avoiding the sun. They're not going out. They're they're not they're, they're covering up. They're using sunscreen, uh, and this this is a big problem. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, it's such an interesting thing to kind of think about and weigh the pros and and you know cons and what the risk is. I'm just curious. This would be pure observation and anecdote since this is something that you've done. Obviously, you're not doing like a randomized controlled trial, but just anecdotally, when you see people yep. that come in with the more severe forms of skin cancer, which is I believe melanoma is the the, the big most deadly one. Mm. Um, is it more people like me that have tried to build up a base of a tan? And, you know, if it does get too hot and the sun's, you know, at the very top, I, I try to find shade or whatever when I need to. Or is it people that maybe are, are lighter skinned that don't get exposure to the sun that then go on a vacation and get fried? Or I, you also hear that melanomas also appear in places where the sun don't shine anyway. What have you observed mm. as far as that goes? Yeah, I mean, that's correct. I mean, yes, look, I've not done any randomized control trials or anything in it. It's all anecdote. But uh, yes, melanomas can actually appear anywhere on the body or in the body. Uh, melanomas can arise from pretty much any cell in the body. You can get them in your in your bowel, you know, which never sees the sun. So sun is not the only risk factor. Um, honestly, it's, 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 it's just a mix, uh, of people. I mean, we very rarely see them on, on darker skinned individuals, um, you know, with the Fitzpatrick type, you know, kind of five, five, six skin. Uh, it is more common on people with lighter skin tones. Uh, interestingly, anecdotally, whilst the risk is theoretically the highest in people with the lightest skin tones, the Fitzpatrick type one, you know, blonde hair, kind of red, you know, red, redheads. Um, they actually, anecdotally for me, they have less of a risk because they are much more aware of the sun because they just, 
literally like you know one of my friends back in england he'll he'll burn in the moonlight <laughs> just the reaction to bouncing off the off the off the moon um you know they're much much more aware of the risks to them so they are a lot more conscious of of those risks they get a lot more skin checks done and so on and so forth um it's probably the people who just don't pay attention to the sun they they just they are the highest risk that i see the people that just don't really seem to care they don't think they don't respect the power of the sun um they also the people that don't really respect the benefits either they just oh, i just want to go and get a tan and they just they just lay they just lay in the sun all day long 24 7 and they they think it's cool to to just burn and oh this is this is great you know because i'll burn i'll get a tan it's not the people that are just getting that baseline tan, just getting that little bit of sun exposure. It's not the people that are getting like an hour a day or whatever it is. You know, it's the people that are sitting there twenty four seven, yeah, and they're putting just you know, and they they they're just they're just baking, you know, basically they're just literally frying themselves in the sun. Those are the people that are getting the skin cancers mainly. Okay, uh, everyone everyone does, but those are the main people. Yeah, gotcha. Okay, so that's a really good explanation, and I think we could you know kind of. What I tell people, I guess, is like use common sense. Like, don't go out in midsummer, midday sun if you don't have a base. And even if you do, like, try to find yep. shade. Try to avoid sunscreen where possible. Work on your base in the winter time or when the sun is low on the horizon and start to develop some color. Even if it's not, you know, strong enough to generate vitamin D, you can still start generating some pigmentation. And just use common sense. And like so many other things in our world, the people that are waiting around for the randomized control trial, the the thing that says, you know, carnivore diets are the very best thing. Like, you're gonna be waiting a long time even just this, a few weeks ago my wife did a blood test it came back there her ldl cholesterol is above 200 mm. horrific if you believe that ldl is causative of heart disease yet we're looking at her hdl which is above 110 which is the highest i've ever seen and her triglycerides are below 40 so it's just one of those things that we have to make common yeah. sense decisions based on what we're observing if she feels good and feels healthy like probably okay so just use common sense we do absolutely uh i mean uh, i think he was on when a dr chafee uh plant free md i'm sure you know him uh his podcast uh can't remember exactly now but somebody said you know if you're waiting for the randomized control trial to tell you what to do you're probably already dead yeah basically and, and that's that's quite true you know these randomized control trials they take so long to uh you know to kind of get those results to people that uh yeah you, you, you're pretty much gonna be waiting a very very long time to for it to to tell you what to do so a lot of it actually does come down to common sense i mean just going briefly back to skin cancer yeah i tell people you know common sense if if you go outside and you it feels like the sun is burning your skin it's burning your skin <laughs> it's not rocket science you know you put your hand on a hot hob and it, it feels like it's burning you you don't just leave it there and hold it there until you say, where's your randomized control trial that tells me that I should take my hand off this hob? No, you just take your hand off the hob because it's clearly burning you, you know? You don't, you don't need the randomized control trial. Um, you know, you jump out of a plane with a parachute. There's no randomized control trial that says you should wear this parachute. Obviously, it's not ethically safe, ethically responsible to say, well, you know, let's let's test this. No, you know, we know the parachutes work. Logically, it makes sense. You know, I often say to people, in the absence of evidence, apply logic. And I think that actually, you know, brings us back to the carnivore diet. It is logical that a diet that is really predicated on what we predominantly ate as, as evolving humans is going to be good for us. That 
logically makes sense. That's how evolution works. You know, two and a half million years, roughly, we've been eating meat. And all of a sudden now meat is bad for us. It just, it makes no, it makes no evolutionary sense. It really doesn't. It really doesn't. Well, this would be such a great time to hear your personal story and how you came across even being interested in anything with diet and nutrition. How, how did you eventually come to find the carnivore diet? Oh, look, I mean, my story, I could give you the long story or the short story, but I mean, like, like with everyone, it's, it's a personal story. Uh, it always is. And anyone, and we can touch on this if you want to, you know, any doctor that's, that's going, stepping outside of the guidelines slightly, you know, and carnivore diets like <laughs> way outside the guidelines. Um, they've always got a personal health story that, that shocks them essentially into realizing the truth that what we're told is good for us is, is really not. Uh, I mean, my story, I mean, it goes back a long way, really back to my childhood. I was overweight as a child, um, probably obese. I remember being very embarrassed, you know, at the swimming pool, covering up my my boobs, you know, as a as a as a teenager, uh, looking at all the other kids, you know, say, you know, why, why are they, why are they slim? Like, why am I different? Why do they have six packs? Why do I have boobs? You know, this kind of thing. And my parents are saying, oh, you know, it's fine, it's puppy fat, it's all, it's all good, you know, you'll lose it. And you know, and so on. And to be fair, like I did, as I went through puberty, I did slim down a lot, but I became a little bit more conscious of my diet and so on anyway. Um, you know, fast forward, I went off to uni. I was pretty, uh, pretty slim actually when I went to university. And then of course I met alcohol, uh, <laughs> which is the problem and late night meals and going out and everything. And then my, my weight just absolutely ballooned. Um, and we're, we're taught like nothing in medical school about nutrition. I mean, maybe it's slightly different now. This was 20 odd years ago, but yeah, like literally we were taught nothing about diet. We were taught nothing about nutrition. Um, the only thing I remember, and look, to be fair, my medical school was a great medical school, but the only thing I remember being taught was, you know, uh, carbohydrates have four calories. Fat has nine calories. Protein has four calories, you know, per gram. That that's what I was taught. Can I ask you a question about that? That was pretty much the extent of it. Can I ask yeah, you a question please. about that? Oh, okay. Uh, sorry to interrupt, but I, I'm always so curious about this. You you mentioned that doctors need to go on their own journey and they need to get sick so they can find the truth. You also said yep. that we didn't get any kind of nutrition education while we were in college. Do, are, do you promote more nutrition education for doctors or is it better to keep them not having any nutrition education <laughs> so that they do have to go through their own journey? Because my theory is if you, if you gave them more education, they would just be more entrenched in what they thought was a truth it's an interesting uh discussion actually and i haven't really thought about it like that uh before but i mean i, I try and educate people where i can educate patients of course uh ed try and educate doctors but in my experience you know uh the medical profession is very it's very closed um and it's it's like it's like an oil tanker um or in fact i like to say it's like a, it's like a hundred oil tankers you know in one go there's so much inertia that you it takes so long to turn around and we, you know, coming back to the randomized control trials, again, you wait for that randomized control trial to even be done. You're talking like 10, 20 years yeah. after it needed to be done. You wait until those results actually filter through to guidelines. You're waiting another 10, 20 years. You wait till those guidelines filter through to the individual doctors. You're talking like another 10, 20 years. Yeah. Like the, the, it's just, it's, it's never going to change uh, the, the time frame It needs to change. Um, but personally, I'd rather no no one has ill health, including including doctors. Um, but it's very hard because you know doctors are typically actually just I mean the old healthcare professionals. We are relatively close minded because of the way that we're taught. 
we're not inherently closed-minded, but we're just, the way that we're taught is very much pass your exams, pass medical school, and, you know, learn from this textbook. Now, this textbook is probably 20 or 30 years old, but this is what we base the exam on. So your exam, you're, you're examined on 20, 30-year-old information yeah. at, at best. And then you go, through, you, you pass medical school and you're like, oh, finally, I can actually expand my horizons. Oh, no, wait, no, I've got more exams. Now I've got to pass my training. Now I've got to pass my residencies. Now I've got to pass my, you know, exams. And they're all based on, no, no, we want you to pass our framework, our coursework, our textbook, not what you know, not what you read on the internet, not whatever the random latest randomized control trial says. No, that's not what we're interested in. No, you have to do it based on what we told you. There's still 20 year old information. And then you get to out of that, you're finally free to kind of be a bit more like, oh, okay, I can actually do what I want to now. But no, you can't because then you've got all your guidelines and you've got your medical indemnity, your insurance, you've got your regulators, APRA here in, in, in Australia, who, you know, very much just know you have to toe the line. And you look at people like uh, Professor Tim Noakes uh, in South Africa, Gary Fecky here in, in Australia. You know, there's people out here in, in, in England, you know, Britain, I'm sure there's people in America. I mean, Sean Baker was one as well. You know, you're not, you're not bringing in enough money. You know, operate on people. Stop making them healthy with diet. No, no, don't do that. That doesn't bring in any money. Yeah. You've got to operate on people, you know? And so you're pushed to, uh, you know, to, to toe the line. So it's really hard, you know, it, that just breeds this kind of closed-minded, you know, nobody's interested in, 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 in expanding their horizons, opening their mind because it's dangerous. Yeah. And that's the problem. Mm-hmm. And, and people like me, and look, I'm not a hero. There are, there are quite a lot of people out there like me. Uh, and these, my, my predecessors, I mean, I'm just grateful for people like Professor Noakes, uh, Gary Fecky, these kind of people, Sean Baker for, for really pioneering and leading the way because they've allowed doctors like me to now come through and and challenge the the dogma and actually challenge the guidelines and say no we don't think this is right and we are now more free to actually do that mm-hmm. without being punished now we still have boundaries of course but we are now more free to to go on things like podcasts to to make our own podcast to talk about it without the fear of retribution it's still always there a little bit yeah but these guys really, they're, they're, they're the heroes, not people like me. They paved the way. Yeah. Yeah. They really paved absolutely. the way. Absolutely. They absolutely did. Yeah. That's amazing. Well, thank you for that diversion. Let's get back to your story. I really appreciate your mm. opinion on, you know, educating doctors is always such a tricky subject, but yeah. So, so you were kind of hamstrung by, by not getting any education as far as uh, nutrition went. Pretty much. Yeah. Um, and so I went through medical school, just yeah, ballooning, ballooning my weight more and more and more, um, got to the end, near the end of medical school and realized okay, like, you know, I'm about to graduate as a doctor now. My life is is basically over uh, in terms of my free time. <laughs> um, I've, it's now or never. Like, I've got to get healthy. And so I actually stumbled across bodybuilding. Uh, bodybuilding.com, great website. And it was, you know, one of the first kind of places on the internet, really, that this was, you know, 20-odd years ago. This, the internet wasn't what it is now. Uh, we didn't have chat GPT and, and really YouTube was in its infancy and like all this kind of stuff. Uh, there were no real podcasts, anything like that. So bodybuilding.com, I stumbled across that and uh, found a lot of really good information out there. Started to follow a lot of these guides, lost quite a bit of weight to be fair, but never, I don't think I really got healthy. 
And I, I got away with it because I was like 20. You know, when you're 20, you can do what you like really and get away with it. Now I'm almost 40. It's a little bit more, a little bit more tricky. Um, but all those guys I remember, they were still predicated on the, you know, eat like 20 meals a day, you know, just just fuel the furnace, you know, eat, 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 eat to lose fat, you know, uh, fuel your metabolism, eat regular meals, uh, eat lean meats, you know, don't eat fat, eat the carbs, you know, but make sure you time the carbs and have your protein shake after your carbs and have a banana with a scoop of maltodextrin and whatever. And it's like, oh my God, I dread to think what I was doing, actually doing to my body. And then I ended up just putting on weight. I never really put on any muscle or anything. Even though I was in the gym like an hour a day, I was getting up at like 4 a.m. to go to the gym and, you know, like just crazy stuff. And, uh, and uh, yeah, and I, I never really got that that healthy. And then eventually just, you know, lifestyle catches up to you, life catches up to you, work catches up to you. I put on weight, stopped going to the gym and then just, ah, you know, I just, I can't do it. It's too hard. I just need to be fat. That's my lot in life. I just can't do anything about it. I'm going to get diabetes, going to get heart disease. Like that's, that's just it, you know, and I'll just take the medications and, you know, what can I do? And then over the years, you know, you bounce up and down and, and you occasionally get some, you know, kind of incentive to try and be a bit healthier. You know, kid comes along, first kid, and oh, I've got to be healthy now. I've got a kid and you do it for a bit. And then eventually again, you just, you just give up because it's just, it's too hard. You know, life's, life's just too hard to, to exercise that much. And we're told, you know, it's not diet, it's it's exercise that's the problem. You know, you must exercise all the time. And so you just, you just, you know, you bounce around between being overweight and slim, never really getting healthy in the process. And then eventually, you know, a couple of years ago, I found low carb nutrition, uh, keto diets. And that just, that is where my life really started to change. And that made a big, big difference for me. But I always found low carb and keto hard because the counting the carbs was hard and I'm, I'm the loophole guy. Like I'll find the loophole and the loophole for me, you know, with low carb was, ah, you know, I'd, I don't really need to be in ketosis. I just need to be low carb. So I can, I can still have my sugar in my coffee, just less sugar in the coffee. Oh, I'll, I'll, I'll use sweeteners instead of sugar. That's better for me. I mean, turns out now we know they're really not, but this was a little while ago. And so really nothing ever much that actually really changed because I'd always find the ways to sabotage myself. And I'm just addicted to food. I'm a sugar addict. I'm a food addict. I, I called myself a foodie, you know, all these ways to justify just being unhealthy, um, eating bad food and, and, and justifying it to other people, to myself even, all the while knowing I'm kind of just lying to myself really. But you say a lie enough, you can, you can convince yourself even of it. And, uh, and then eventually I actually found carnivore and it was one of my patients that actually got me onto it, which was really interesting. And he came in saying, you know, I've got all these issues. He, he was, you know, borderline pre-diabetic, had all these weird symptoms going on with him, putting on weight, feeling terrible. He came in saying, I'm, I'm going to do this carnivore diet. And I was like, what the hell is a carnivore diet? <laughs> like I'd, I'd never heard of this. And, uh, and he, he, he explained it to me and I was like, dude, you're going to kill yourself like your cholesterol, think, think of your cholesterol. <laughs> and like, you could, you're going to kill yourself. Like where's, where's your randomized control trial? Where's your evidence? And he said exactly the same thing to me as I was saying to you earlier, well, you know, if you wait for it and so on, but I was very much in this medical mindset of no, like this, you can't do this. Like, this is bad for you. I can't be part of this. I'm going to get my registration taken away from me. If anyone finds out I'm doing this with you. And 
he basically was, you know, thankfully he was kind of just like, well, you're my doctor. And so I'm doing this. You're going to see, like, you don't need to be part of it, but you will see. And I am going to come back and see you. You're not getting away with it. You need to be shown what diet can do. It wasn't because I was overweight or anything. I was actually relatively slim at that point. But, you know, he was like, no, I want you to see, I want to open your eyes. So he actually went and did the carnivore diet. And the difference in him was just unbelievable. Unbelievable. Uh, yeah, I still couldn't kind of quite actually accept it. Uh, actually, prior to that, he'd, he'd done fasting and he'd done this prolonged fast. He came in saying, I'm going to fast for seven days. Honestly, like my mind was just like, what? is going on here. Like you're going to, you're going to kill yourself. You're going to die. Like you can't just not eat for seven days. Like what is going on? And he was like, no, it's fine. Like there's this guy, Jason Fung, like he talks about it. This doctor, he's got the obesity code. He actually brought the obesity code in for me to read uh, the book, which actually really opened my eyes. That was a, that was a great, great read. Anyone that's, you know, interested in, in getting healthy, it's a really good book to read the obesity could code. It's agree. really Could not agree more. Yeah. I, I don't think he's got it. I don't think he's got it a hundred percent, but I, I, he's like 99% of the way there. I Great. think, yeah, it's really Great. good. Um, but, uh, anyway, so that's kind of how I got started on the carnivore diet. I actually went to low carb down under this year and uh, last year in Gold Coast. And I heard Dr. Chafee, Dr. Chafee talk, <laughs> the plant free MD and that just something just clicked in me and it was kind of like, okay, now there's a doctor that's talking about it. There's a doctor that's talking about it flesh and blood. He's not so random on the internet. You know, it's a guy actually in person talking about it. He looks good. He's pretty much my age. He's slightly older than me. He's a couple of years older than me, I think. I think he's what, like 42 now. Apologize, Dr. Chafee, if you're listening to this, if I got it wrong. Uh, but he's pretty much my age, you know, and, and he's a doctor and he's going through surgical training. You know, I know what that can be like. I haven't done it myself, but I know people who have. You know, it's, it's very time intensive, very, very pressured you know, he's thriving on this diet. Like there's something in this. And I know that plants have toxins because, you know, yeah, it was, his title was uh, plants are trying to kill you. I mean, you could not go to that lecture. You could not. And, you know, I know that plants can be toxic. We know this. You can't just go and eat grass. You can't just go and eat leaves or, or you know, whatever random stuff in the forest because you'll probably die. Like we know this. So something just clicked in me and it, it made sense that, yeah, why don't I do this? Like I've done everything else. I've done fasting that again, like fasting was great, but I found a loophole in the fasting of just, well, if I fast one day, I can, I can just eat crap the next, you know, and it, it, I did get healthier, but it, it wasn't enough. Keto again, I found it hard. Uh, the counting, the car found the loopholes hard. He says, you know, why not? Like there's no loopholes in this. It's just eat meat. And he's telling me I can eat as much as I like. That's great. Cause I'm addicted to food, but why not be addicted to good food? and see what happens. And so I just went the next day I was came home and I said to my wife, like, are you okay if I do this crazy diet? <laughs> I like, I didn't want her to like be freaking out. And I, and she was like, well, you're basically fat and unhealthy anyway. <laughs> Real subtle. You might as well try. Real yeah, subtle. pretty much. <laughs> oh, my wife is not known for her subtlety. Um, but yeah, she was like, yeah, in, in, in a very nice way. She was like, Lola, you, you know, you're unhealthy anyway. You, are going to get all these diseases because you know you're going to. You've got them in your family. You're heading that way anyway. You've always struggled with your weight. You've always struggled with your diet. Why don't you do it and just see what happens? 
And so I was like, yeah, I'm sold. Like I'll, I'll do it. And so literally just went out and just bought stack load of meat and just ate meat. And within like literally 36 hours, I just felt unbelievable. Like you can't even, I can't even express how I felt. Like I just, I felt like a Superman. I felt like a, just a superhero. That quick. Just, yeah, like that quick, 36 hours. Like every fiber of my being was just like on fire, like just on fire, but in a, in a really good way, like on point, like everything. Like the the difference between that and keto was just, out of this world you know like keep yeah i tell you you know you've got like low carb here you've got keto and then you've got carnivore Huge it's, gap. it's a massive gap it's nine day to keto it really is uh and i just felt unbelievable and so i just yeah carried it on <laughs> and i said i'll stop when i don't feel unbelievable and i still feel unbelievable so i'm carrying on Basically, I mean, I've, I've since introduced a few little plants here and there, um, which a lot of people do, um, like a tiny bit of berries, uh, here and there, uh, a little bit of avocado here and there, you know, very low toxicity, uh, vegetables, low toxicity, plants, low toxicity, fruit in small quantities occasionally. And I think that's, that's the key. And I'm kind of working on something right now. I'm calling it the primal fusion diet, which is, you know, really like a modified, modified carnivore diet. I mean, look, a lot of people do slightly modified carnivore diets. You know, people like Ken Berry's got his proper human diet. Uh, it's similar to that, but it's, um, he says, you know, you can eat these low toxicity vegetables as much as you like. Whereas I'm a bit more like, no, like let's follow a much more, um, paleolithic kind of diet but not a paleo diet because paleo again says i oh, just eat fruit and nuts as much as you like because that's what we ate i don't think ancient man ain't ate as much as they felt like yeah because they didn't have a supermarket that they were going to uh you know just go to the supermarket and buy a massive massive box of strawberries and just eat them as much as they like like we can nowadays you know, they weren't going and foraging nuts uh from a field where they were grown and just picking them and Oh, there's loads of nuts here. No, they were, there was like a bush, a berry bush. And there was probably like 20 people eating one bush. Right. For like a week. And then there's no more berries. Like, yeah, it's, it was seasonal. It was, so you maybe got like three strawberries <laughs> and you got like two or three nuts. That was it, yeah. you know, and we weren't, we weren't foraging underground because, you know, you've got the whole planet is covered in, in in forest. Basically, you know, you don't have a little marker where you've planted your potatoes, and right, this is where I'm digging. Like, no, you're literally like going into the forest and like going, right, where am I going to dig for potatoes? We're like, you got no clue. You're not going to dig up the whole forest. Bearing in mind, the whole planet's covered in forest at this point. There's no roads, there's no cities. You can't just dig up the whole planet to find a potato. If it's exposed on the ground, whatever, you're going to eat it. But again, it's going to be seasonal fruits, seasonal berries. Most of the stuff we ate then is not like we know nowadays. Right. I was going to say like a, like a russet you know? potato, what we think is a potato, russet potato. We made that like potatoes are completely yeah. toxic. They'll kill you. Most of them. Pretty much. I mean, yeah. Like, I mean, in the old, old days, Paleolithic times and so on, you know, potatoes didn't really exist. And certainly not like we know them nowadays. A lot of things just didn't even exist like broccoli, you know, some things just have just been cultivated from the mustard plant. These things didn't even exist anyway. Um, 
but even then things like tubers and so on, like these were just, it was literally like eating bark, you know, like there was no real nutrition in these things. They weren't sweet. They weren't roasted in duck, in duck fat and like made into fries and, you know, like, no, they weren't. They were, they were literally raw or maybe you cooked them, but they weren't tasty. They weren't things that you'd really want to go and seek out. It was, no, I'm literally dying. I will eat something. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and, and my thing with, with, again, with, with why I've changed slightly from carnivore is carnivore is amazing. Absolutely amazing. It is hands down, in my opinion, the number one diet for healing hands down. But I don't think it still holds true to our evolutionary past. Because again, ancient man, we didn't know what ketosis was. We didn't know what meat, what carbs, what anything was. We just knew I'm hungry, I'm starving, or I'm not. And if you pass something, you're going to eat it. Yeah. You know? And I think this is where people like Paul Saladino are saying that this is what we used to do, eat fruit and honey. You go past a beehive, you know that's safe. You know that's food, so you're going to eat it because it's literally if I don't, I will die. <laughs> Those are your choices. I eat and I survive, or I don't and I die. Those are your choices. You're going to eat. Yeah. But again, you look at the beehive, you're going to have 20, 30 people on a hunt come across a beehive. They're going to eat it all together. You're going to get a little bit. You're not going to get massive amounts of honey. And you also, that bee, you destroy the beehive. I'm pretty sure I'm correct when I say this. You destroy a beehive, they go away. They don't come back. Pretty sure that's what bees do. And maybe I'm wrong, but they go away. They make a hive somewhere else. That hive is not coming back. So you destroy that beehive, you eat it, you eat that honey, it's gone. Yeah. You don't, you don't, you don't have another jar in the cupboard. That's right. That's waiting right. for you. Right. So that honey, that that beehive is maybe like once a year, once every six months, and you just gorge yourself on honey. Not every weekend. Yeah, that's right. That's right. And that's, that's the difference. I like that. You know, we, I think we get caught up in so much of the minutia. Once we get into the carnivore space about what's allowed, what's not allowed, what's seasonal, you need 400 grams of fructose a day in the form of fruit juice, or you don't, it should be very strict. And I think most people just think beef, salt, salt water, and it becomes, it becomes like this thing that's too strict that people can't adhere to. If they understand Can the be. nuances of how different people are presenting the diet, it gives people options. And it, it means you don't have to be super strict 100% of the time. You can allow for certain things and you can relax a little bit. I think that's what kind of throws off a lot of the beginners from actually trying. Mm. And so for a beginner, what would you recommend that they do as, as far as if they had an interest in pursuing an animal-based diet, a carnivore diet, anywhere, anything along that road? Yeah, I mean, I think it really comes down to initially why are they doing it? That's the biggest thing. If they're doing it because they've got really serious autoimmune problems, they're, they're metabolically really sick, I think they probably do need to be a bit stricter with it, um, especially with the autoimmune conditions. You know, a carnivore diet really at its heart is an elimination diet. And, you know, all the, all the big names in the carnivore world, they'll tell you the same thing. It's an elimination diet. You don't need to necessarily stay on an elimination diet the rest of your life, but you can do if you want to. You know, people do FODMAP diets, low FODMAPs, you know, they, they, for IBS, for example, they'll stay in it for the rest of their life if they find it okay. But you don't, you don't have to necessarily. So if you've got really serious autoimmune conditions like rheumatoid arthritis, for example, ulcerative colitis, it makes sense to take out as much as possible, go as pure as possible. Because if you add up pretty much every elimination diet across the world, you add them all together, you're basically left with 
beef. <laughs> That's pretty much what you're left with, beef, salt, water. Um, even things like eggs, bacon, et cetera, you know, they might be taken out. Uh, but for a lot of people, that is just a bit too strict. And so if, again, you're the kind of person, you know, I, I deal in real life. I see real people, real patients. They're not some, you know, just person on the internet, whatever I can say, oh, I just go and go and do this, you know, and go away. They, they come back and say, but I can't do that. Like it's, I, I live in real life, you know, like what do I do for lunches? What do I do for takeaways? What do I do at work? You know, this kind of stuff which interferes with that. So often I'll say to people that, you know, just, you can be a little bit relaxed. It's okay. And I'll even take it back to, you know, I, I'd say 30 days. Uh, I know people like Dr. Berry says, says 90 days. I say 30 days because 90 days for a lot of people is too much. Long time. It's too long to commit to three months for them. It's hard. And bearing in mind that like I'm seeing often are people who are morbidly obese, you know, BMI of like 60, they have got type 2 diabetes, they've got really serious, you know, health conditions, they're taking 20 medications for them. The idea of switching their diet to something extreme for three months is, is too much. Yeah, I would. They just, they, they, they mentally can't cope with that because most of these people, they've, they've, they've done it. They haven't done carnival, but in their mind, they've done every diet going. Yeah, for sure. They've done everything going. And so, and it's all failed inevitably because they're at where they're at. And so in their mind, it's just another thing that's going to fail. And three months is too much for them to commit. So 30 days is a lot more palatable. It's one month. Yep. Even then I'll say to people, look, go two weeks, do a week, do a day, do a meal. I'll, I'll even, I'll take it back to that point with them. Just do one meal, one meal, just eat a steak. Don't cook the veggies. Don't cook the fries. Don't have the salad, just have the steak. If you want, go out to a restaurant, pay for a really overpriced <laughs> steak, but go to a restaurant, get someone else to cook it for you. If you don't know how to cook steak, go to a restaurant, just eat the steak. See how you feel. Did you die? No, you can do it. <laughs> That's amazing. You know, did you feel terrible? No, you can do this. And then it's the next meal. And then it's the next meal and the next meal. And then one meal turns into three meals. Three meals is a day. And then you've got a day turns into a week and then a month. And just go until you don't feel good. Yeah. Inevitably, they get to a month and they feel great. Yeah. Yeah. And that's usually what happens. It's so approachable the way you make it. I'm so much more willing to bet that somebody doing 30 days will do the exact same thing that I did when I got to 30 days and say, well, I feel great at 30 yeah. days. I'm probably going to do this on day 31. Yeah. Exactly. And then maybe I'll go the three months. That's it. And I say to people that it's okay to slip up. You know, so much diet culture is based around you have to do it perfectly. And that's just not real life. And so people inevitably give up. And it's it's human nature. If you step outside, if you slip up, you fall off that wagon, most people will just run away from the wagon. They won't get back on it. They won't get back on the diet. They'll just go, well, it didn't work. I give up. I can't do it. It's too hard. So if you make it a little bit less strict for people, it's a lot easier for them. If they want to go strict, fine. You know, no problem. Uh, I tell people prioritize fatty meat because that makes you feel the best. So beef typically is the most bioavailable and it tastes the best to most people. But I say to them, you know, look, if you don't like beef, don't eat beef. It's fine. You know, this is not a super strict, you don't have to eat beef and that's it. 
You know, it's like if you don't like if you don't eat like eating something, you tell that person that's all they can eat. Are they going to follow that diet? No, they're never going to follow that diet because they don't like what they're being told to eat. If they want to eat chicken, that's fine. Put a bit of butter, fry it in butter or something. Yep. Get some fat because you'll feel terrible otherwise. But you go eat the chicken. That's fine. Pick, you know, the tastiest meal you can imagine and eat that as your first meal. For me, that's a juicy ribeye. But for other people, maybe it's prawns. Maybe it's uh, uh, pasta. Not pasta, sorry. So I, see, like, see, I was thinking like seafood, linguine, whatever. You, know, you don't really want to eat pasta on a carnivore diet. Um, but maybe even then they're like, okay, well, I just can't do that. Okay, well, fine, we'll make the seafood linguine, but just make less pasta. Focus, go heavy on the prawns, heavy on the seafood. That's okay. You can ease into it if you want to. You don't have to just split overnight, right, now I'm carnivore. No, you can ease into it if you like. And do a day, do a, do a meal, do a day, do a week, whatever it is. And then you'll get to that 30 days. And then you decide what you want to do. Yeah. The next thing I say to people is, right, okay, you know, think about your, your, the, your most favorite meal. But if you eat that every day for the rest of your life, you're probably going to be pretty bored. You have to have some sort of variation. You know, I, I use this analogy of a chocolate cake. So I say to people, right, okay. Cause they're like, oh yeah, steak every day. That sounds amazing. And I say, yeah, okay. But imagine this, right? There's a magic chocolate cake. I'll, I'll give it to you for free. I'll, I'll pay, I'll pay for it. Okay. You can eat this magic chocolate cake tonight for dinner and it's guilt-free. It will fix all your problems, all your life's problems, this magical chocolate cake. And it tastes amazing because it's chocolate cake. It tastes amazing. Right. And it, and it won't make you unhealthy. It'll fix all your problems. It's magic. And they're like, yeah, that sounds nice. I'll have that. I say, great. And now you can eat it tomorrow as well. Oh, that sounds good. And now you can eat it the next day. Yeah. That sounds really good. Okay, now you can eat it every day for a week. Oh, that sounds pretty good. Now you can eat it every day for a month. Oh, that sounds all right. Now you have to eat it every single day, every single meal. There's nothing else you can ever eat other than magical chocolate cake for the rest of your life. Suddenly, it just doesn't sound as appealing. <laughs> it's still the same magical chocolate cake. It's still going to fix all life's problems. But you just don't want it anymore. So a little bit of variation is actually really important as well. So I tell people, you must vary it. You must make it a little bit different because it's human nature. You eat the same thing 24 seven, you'll get bored. Yeah. No, that's really great advice. But I think for two sugar addicts like you and I, having chocolate cake every single day does sound pretty good. I could probably crush that way too often than I care to admit. Um, Absolutely. That's fantastic. Okay, so um, as far as results, I got this question in a consultation yesterday. I actually got the same question that you just answered, which was fantastic. What about you know chicken and fish? Are these allowed? And it's like, yeah, of course they're allowed, but I prefer you try to lean towards beef if you can do it, if that is what sounds good. Another question I got was... Um, the guy I was doing the consultation with, his girlfriend is doing the diet also. She has some body fat to lose. She wants to bring her weight down and her body fat down. And she is fairly kind of scale oriented as far as what's going to tell her whether she's going to get to her goals. I, I mm. kind of had some thoughts about that. I would love to hear your thoughts about doing a carnivore diet, especially not just for fat loss, but for, for weight loss. I'm looking at the scale. Yes. Yeah. Um, the scale lies. <laughs> basically simply put the scales scales lie 
Um, scales often can, can vary. I mean, like in the course of a day, I can put on like four kilos in the course of a day, weigh myself in the morning, weigh myself in the evening. Yeah. It's changed like three, four kilos. So a, you have to be consistent in when you're weighing yourself. If you're going to use the scales, um, I recommend people, if they're going to do that, they weigh themselves first thing in the morning, they get up, they go to the toilet, go to the bathroom, do what they need to do. Um, then jump on the scales because that's where there's going to be the most consistent, not at the end of the day, because what you eat and over the course of the day makes a difference. But over after a sleep, your bowel gas or the rest of it is, you know, pretty low. That's going to be the most consistent. Uh, but really the main thing is the scales lie and they are a very poor way of judging health. They're a very poor way of judging where uh, fat loss, uh, on when I started the carnivore diet, my weight went up like four kilos in the space of uh, what, like two weeks. And I was not happy about that. Or I would have been not happy about that had I not been measuring other measurements. So one of the best measurements that you can do, most simple is abdominal circumference. So around the, around the belly button, not around the hips, around the belly button is probably the best single measurement that you can do. Agreed. Um, Again, do it first thing in the morning because bowel gas, et cetera, that will distend your tummy over the course of the day and that will vary. So again, first thing in the morning. Um, abdominal circumference really tells you if you're losing fat for most people. It's a very simple measure. If that's going down, you're losing fat. Yeah, doesn't matter what the scales say. And by all means, combine it with the scales. And then if your weight's going up, well, you know you're actually putting on muscle, which is good. It's what we want or well, lean body mass. But yeah, abdominal circumference really is the best. And you can you can buy like body calipers. And I've, you know, I've got some as well. But people often find a way to kind of, uh, you know, I'll do it enough times, whatever, keep moving it around. Again, you got to do it in exactly the same place. You know, you can do like a 27 point body caliper, whatever, if you really want to. Who's got time for that? Yeah. No, I don't have time for that. Um, or you just do your abdominal circumference. They actually correlate pretty well. Yeah. Save, yeah, your, save your money, conference. save your money, you know, whatever it takes for you to invest, you know, save up several months. If you have to, to buy a piece of string, <laughs> that's what you need. And, <laughs> yeah, basically. And, I'll, and I'll tell you too, um, I was in a room with a bunch of personal trainers at the company I used to work with. Our department had maybe 25, 30 personal trainers. And we did a test one day where we had a subject in, an, in another room and one by one, the personal trainers would go in and do his body fat via calipers, the variants of yeah. personal trainers who uh, do this yeah. really well. It was like a 10% variance delta between, you know, the lowest and the highest yes. guesses and everything in between. It just doesn't tell you anything. And a scale no. will tell you your gravity on planet earth. That's not a good indication of health. So I love that. I kind yeah. of mentioned the same thing is like sometimes on a carnivore diet, you're going to be replenishing nutrients and building muscle. Maybe mm. your bone density is going to improve. So check waist circumference or maybe take before pictures, take a picture of yourself yeah. from front view, side view. Don't show anybody. Just keep it on your phone because in a few weeks, a few months, you will Absolutely. be so astounded at how you look. Absolutely. Pictures are a really good, really good way. And pictures are very motivational as well. Um, but yeah, very, very simple pictures or abdominal circumference. That's pretty much, you know, I don't tell people to throw out the scales, but I do tell them your yeah, scales, scales lie. I love that. No, that's a great way to say that. Um, I want to ask you a, a very common question I get from beginners as well. Tracking. What should I track? How do I know mm. my macros? How many calories should I be eating? What do you tell people about tracking when they're on the carnivore diet? Uh, basically that you don't really need to, uh, pretty much. Uh, and that's one of the beauties of the carnivore diet. I mentioned previously, I'm the loophole guy. Uh, there are no loopholes 
really in in the carnivore diet as such um and you could introduce some loopholes if you start to eat a bit of fruit whatever fine but um there are no real loopholes so it's just it's eat if you're hungry eat if you're not hungry don't eat uh again it's common sense it's coming back to that common sense eat intuitively eat till you're full uh eat till you're satisfied satiated uh not full to bursting but just satiated um and uh and if you're hungry eat if you're not don't prioritize fatty meats and typically listen to your body yeah. your body will tell you what to eat uh human body has been evolving over millions of years you know it knows what to do you open the fridge and you look you think all right i'm gonna have i'm gonna have chicken tonight but you open the fridge and that chicken just looks like nah and the beef looks oh yeah eat the beef it's your body telling you there's something in this beef I want you to eat. You open the fridge, you're going to go beef and the beef like, nah, you know, the chicken looks really good. Eat the chicken. There's something in there that your body wants. Your body knows what's in food because it's used to, it's had millions of years of evolution. It knows through your DNA, it knows what's in food. It'll tell you what to eat. If you eat a stick of butter and it tastes like heaven on earth, it's because your body's been craving something in that butter. And I did this experiment a little while ago. I got a bit of butter and I cut a slice off. And that first, and I was, um, this is near when I started carnivore and I I could not go to the bathroom. I had, I just wasn't eating enough fat. And I knew this was an issue. So I was like, I need to eat some fat. Like what fat have I got? Right, butter. Okay, eat some butter. Cut a sliver, uh, cut a thing of butter off. Oh my God, it tasted like heaven on earth. The best thing that I've ever tasted in my life. And then I ate another piece and it tasted amazing. And I ate another piece and it tasted really good. And I ate another piece and it tasted good and okay. And then it was not quite so good. And then eventually it was like, this tastes horrible. Like, how can it go from the heaven on earth to this doesn't taste good to me anymore? It's the same thing. It's the same packet of butter. I didn't open another one and it was off or something. It was the same one. It's my body saying, okay, you've had enough of this now. So when something stops tasting good, that's your body saying, put the brakes on, you're done. That's okay. Yeah. You don't need, you don't need to necessarily finish the steak. Yep. Put it back in the fridge, eat it later. Yep. It's, it's fine. So listen to your body. You open the fridge, it's telling you what to eat. Something looks good, tastes good, smells good. Your body wants it. If it doesn't, your body doesn't want it. Yeah. Listen to your body. It's, it's not that complicated. Generally speaking, we want to aim for around 70, maybe 75, 80% fat, uh, calories from fat. Um, but again, if you prioritize fatty meats, uh, like ribeye, chuck roast, things like that, again, like not everyone's eating ribeyes 24 seven, you know, I'm not, I know I did it for a month. That was, that was one month. Um, you know, most like go for the fatty mints, go for the chuck, uh, roast, you know, go for briskets, these fatty meats you're going to be like 99% of the way there without even worrying about calories, without even worrying about macros. And then you just eat it until it stops tasting good. Yeah. And you eat when you're hungry. You don't when you're not. I don't think we need to force fasting on a carnivore diet. Uh, again, you'd listen to your body. It's pretty simple. I love it. 
No, I love it. And your, your note on fasting, it's like you'll be so surprised starting with three meals a day how quickly you're going to want to naturally go to two and then maybe to one and then maybe bounce yep. back to two. And I think you've done such an amazing job explaining to beginners out there how they can incorporate this diet and how they can continue to do, to do that for the rest of their life or how they can mix things in. So I really appreciate you going there with me to create that kind of beginner's guide. And on that note, we're, we're in an interesting place. Um, you know, with how we're getting information out there, you know, you get mm. to practice and you get to talk to your patients, which is great. We're doing this, you know, rinky dink podcast that I've done for a few years <laughs> and we're putting it out there and we're getting lots of downloads. We get about 20,000 downloads a month, which is fantastic. I wow, never thought yeah. we could reach that many people, but we're, we're, we're in this space where now we have what I would argue everyday normal people, maybe they're engineers or scientists or teachers or dental assistants or whatever. They almost pretty much know more about nutrition than a lot of doctors out there. And they're coming to their doctors explaining different things and telling them things and saying, look like your like your patient did. I, I I'm going to do this. I'm going to keep you as my doctor. You're going to see what's going to happen. I, my question is around listening. At some point you had to listen to mm -hmm. your patient, which must've been a little bit humbling since you are the doctor, mm. you have all the education. I didn't go to school for 10 years. Like you did. You know what I mean? Like, That's right. what, so what would you want doctors to know about listening to their patients? Yeah. I mean, it really is just probably be open-minded. Um, if someone's coming in saying I'm doing this and I feel great, my bloods are all better. I'm getting off my medications. Listen to them. Be open-minded and accept that maybe there's something in it. Uh, so often we see doctors, uh, and to be fair, I used to be the same, you know, not seeing the wood for the trees. And I know other, other people talk about this, you know, I've got patients, they come to see me because their doctors have basically just, essentially just banned them from the clinic because they won't take the statin. They won't, they just, no, I'm not going to see you anymore then. You don't take my advice. You, 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 you just get lost. I'm not interested. And it's such a shame because these patients, you know, they're, they're losing, you know, 20, 30% body fat, like just morbidly obese down to just a healthy BMI and BMI is terrible, but you know, they're, they're just losing huge amounts of body fat. They've cured their type two diabetes. Basically they're off medications. Their blood pressure is amazing and they feel fantastic physically and mentally. They feel incredible. And yeah, the LDL has gone up by like 0.5. And then their doctors told them, no, this diet's bad for you. It's going to kill you. You're, you're, you're terrible. You need to go back on what you were doing before and take all your pills again. That's what keeps you healthy. And it's like, these doctors just can't see the wood for the trees. They've cured like 25 conditions and they've got a very borderline, slightly high cholesterol that makes no difference anyway. And they're like, no, you're unhealthy. It's just absolutely crazy. So for me, you know, if doctors could just be a little bit more open-minded and just see what's in front of them, but be more inquisitive as well. We hear it on other podcasts, you know, patients going to their doctors and saying, I'm doing this thing. It's amazing. Look, he's cured my kidney disease and all the rest of it. I've got off my biologicals. I've got, I've cured my ulcerative colitis. And the doctor's like, okay. They don't care. They don't care. Like, you know, be inquisitive, ask them, what the hell did you do? Like, I need to know what you did. Like, no, they're not interested. It's like, okay, I guess just go away then. 
it's it's just insane. It's absolute insanity to me. But yeah, be more open-minded, be more inquisitive. Yeah, I hear that story so many times where somebody is like the very first patient this doctor has ever seen in like 20 or 30 years to reverse a chronic disease. And they don't even care. It's not even, they didn't even ask. I would rather them ask and be pissed that they're eating all meat or something, but they don't even ask. Yeah. Like, wouldn't you want to no. know? Like- I know it's, it's absolutely insane. I mean, I've done interviews on my podcast, people saying the same thing. I've listened to all sorts of other podcasts, people saying exactly the same thing. The doctors, they're just not interested. It's, it's just shocking. Wow. Well, it's absolutely absolutely mind blowing. And it's so cool that you were able to take that more humble approach and listen to your patient and eventually try something that worked really well for you. And now look, you're out there changing the world in your way. You're sharing your message on your podcast, which I absolutely love. And, and now you're able to share that message, which I, it's just so cool. I absolutely love that. Dr. Suresh, where would you like people to go to find you, to connect with you and your work? Yeah, I mean, the easiest thing is probably just uh, themeatmedic.com. Uh, if you just Google The Meat Medic as well, you'll find me. Um, I actually just revamped my website and I've got quite a lot of uh, guides on there as well. So there's a how to start a carnivore diet guide as well, 30 day you know challenge. And I go into a bit more of the science around it, uh, minerals, vitamins, uh, macronutrients, all this kind of stuff. But it's very easy to understand. Um, not, not simplistic, but just e- easy to understand the meal plans, you know, and stuff like that. And I talk about all this kind of stuff on there. Um, but themeatmedic.com uh, is my website and I've got links to my YouTube channel, podcast, etc. I'm at the Meat Medic, at the Meat Medic at pretty much across all major social channels as well. Um, and that's just the best way to find me. That's great. We will link to all of that in the show notes. If nothing else in this conversation, we found your million dollar idea. Get ready for this. Meat Medic animal-based pasta. That is how you're going to make your million dollars. The Boundless Body Maybe. Radio corporate uh, um, board of directors is going to get together. We're going to send you an angel investment so that we can start meat-based pasta. It's going to be fantastic. Meat You'll make millions. Pasta. Yeah. Do you know what? That would be probably quite popular. Actually. <laughs> Might be. Oh, man. Well, this is such a great conversation and very, very helpful with lots of practical tips and very inspiring, again, that you were listening to your patients thank you. and able to take that information out and now to share it with the world. is just so special and meaningful. So thank you so very much for waking up very early at a time when you've just had a child to be on our show today. It's, it's such right. an honor to finally connect with you. And thank you so much for being on our show. We really, really appreciate you. Very welcome, Casey. It's a pleasure to be here. Thanks for inviting me. Absolutely. Such an honor. And this has been another episode of Boundless Body Radio. As always, thank you so very much for listening to and supporting Boundless Body Radio. It's incredible to see the podcast continue to grow and grow and reach more people from all over. We always love seeing all the comments and feedback that you send in. And frankly, in the last few months, I've actually gotten some of the kindest messages I've ever gotten from listeners of our podcast. And it's just really so overwhelming and humbling. And I'm just so grateful for that. Our intention for Boundless Body Radio was to always put something positive back out in the world and help share a message of health to hopefully improve some lives. And I'm very happy to say that I feel confident that we are accomplishing that mission. We absolutely love connecting with people from all over the world. So please go to myboundlessbody.com and feel free to book a complimentary 30-minute session with us. We love helping people create plans to reach their health goals, but even if it's just to schedule a time to say hello and introduce yourself or to just have a session where we can bounce ideas off of each other, we would really love to hear from you. 
Also, be sure to go to Apple Podcasts and leave us a rating and review, as it's a great way to help this podcast reach more people. You can also go to our YouTube channel, which I don't often talk about, and subscribe to our show, Boundless Body, where we post all of these full interviews, and I also post some shorter clips taken from these interviews that might highlight something really awesome that one of our podcast guests uh, was talking about. So be sure to go check that out. Thank you again, as always, for listening to Boundless Body Radio. We really appreciate you, the listener, and look forward to many more great episodes to come. Thank you.